divine encounters. When God invades our common with his uncommon, when the ordinary is shattered by the extraordinary, divine encounters. You know, we, we all got one or one's coming up. When God wants to meet with us in such a way that brings about life change in us, because anytime you encounter God, you are not going to be the same. This morning I was reading in Isaiah chapter 40. It says, who teaches the Lord? Who compares to him? He holds the whole world in his hands and the seas are nothing but him. He scatters the stars. He used the night as a tent, as a canopy. Who can compare to the Lord? And I thought, that's true. But here's the amazing thing. This God who is so awesome and unbelievable and undeniable wants to love you and wants to have an encounter with little old you. Knows where you are, knows who you are, knows the days of your life before there was one. He knows all about your sin, but he's chosen to forgive you. And when you come to him, get this, he remembers your sins no more. Whoo! That's good news, isn't it? And divine encounters that change us for who we are. Here in the book of Acts, we see God step into a life of a guy that I would have nothing to do with if I were living in that day. He was a guy that was so opposed to Christianity, so opposed to what God was doing. He was vehemently murdering and incarcerating and engaging and beating Christians. But God in his love <clears throat> looked back past his current problems and saw his amazing potential and he encountered him and he changed him. And you know what? He reminds me of me. He reminds me of me. That if God could take a dumpster fire like Saul of Tarsus and turn, turn him into Paul the great evangelist, maybe God could do something with Scott Weatherford, the Northwest Florida redneck poster child. Just maybe. Just maybe. Whether you're on the road to Damascus or on the road to Ganada, God wants to have a divine encounter with you. Anybody you know where Ganada is? Raise your hand. There's a few of us. Yeah, I know you know where Ganada, Texas is, yeah. But God wants to have a divine encounter with you, and it'll change everything. This past week, Stan talked about the martyrdom of, of, uh, of Stephen and how Stephen stepped up boldly and he dressed down the Jewish people and made them lose their minds. And the central figure of, of Stephen's martyrdom was this guy named Saul. But God was going to do something great with Saul. And I want to say he wants to do something great with you today. He wants to do something great with you. So let's listen and let's let God work in our hearts to bring uncommon convert. And that uncommon convert probably is you. Y'all ready? Okay, that's four of y'all. The rest of y'all ready? Yeah. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for what you want to say to us this morning. And I pray that you will speak through me, that my words will be unhindered and unfettered for your glory, and that you will speak exactly to this crowd, this folks gathered here, either here live or online, that, and you'll say to them what you want said to them. And I pray that you will just do what you want done, and we will leave here very much changed because we've had an uncommon encounter with you, the uncommon God. And we pray this all in Jesus Christ's strong name. Amen. I invite you to go ahead and take out your notes. You're going to want to jot some things down. I want to remind you of the digital uh, information or curriculum we provided for you on our website. I'm going to let you in on a little, little, little more secret, okay? 
This week, I'm going to record our next group material for uh, This Is Us. That's our fall campaign. That's the next series coming up. It's called This Is Us. We're going to be reminded of who we are and why we're here and what God has for us and a vision for the future. So you guys look forward to that. Uh, it's very obvious that we're going to have to add a little more space, a little more parking around here. Wouldn't you agree with that? Oh, yeah. Thank you, Christian. That's right. So uh, it's all going to happen soon. So this is us. Uh, alignment campaign this fall is going to do that. I'm going to be videotaping that this Friday afternoon. So will you guys pray for me that I will say the things I need to say in this video? Will y'all pray for me? Okay, that's five of you, so I feel really prayed for. Okay. Second thing is that, oh, this is a little secret. Don't tell anybody, but you're going to need to tell everybody. We're starting a Pastor Scott podcast. And we're going to film the first one of those this week as well. We'll let you know where you can find that. And what we're trying to, we're hoping to do, is expand our digital reach. God wants to not just be God of the Wimberley Valley, but he wants to be God of the whole world. And he wants to use us in a significant way in a whole world. Now listen to me. I am not interested in being famous. Y'all got that? I'm interested in making Jesus famous. Y'all got that? So that's why we do what we do, and we're excited about the days that are coming ahead. So you guys pray about that. Look forward to that. Life is different than it used to be because why? We are the church at Wimberley. That's why. We're not the only church in Wimberley, but we're the church at Wimberley, moving for God's global glory, all for King Jesus. So let's get into this talk. Let's look at the uncommon. The first thing that we have is an uncommon conviction. Have you ever been convicted about something? Yeah, you have. When it's been, uh, now I've had conviction flung on me by some others. Uh, in fact, I, I got convicted yesterday. Did anybody get convicted yesterday other than me? Let me tell you how I got convicted. I went with my daughter, Kayla, to the grocery store because the babies need ice, they needed ice cream. <laughs> and so she showed me, she works for HEB, she showed me a new product that HEB had chocolate chip cookie dough ice cream combined with cookies and cream ice cream. And I ate some, and I got convicted. But I did not repent, because I'm going to eat some more today, okay? But we fall under conviction, and conviction should lead to repentance, and repentance lead to redemption, but it often doesn't. Repentance sometimes leads, actually conviction sometimes leads to an opposite decision, a decision of rage. But if we're going to have an encounter with God, we're going to have an uncommon conversion or uncommon, being uncommon convert, we've got to fall under conviction. Now, listen to what happened with Saul in, in Acts 8. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue at Damascus so, he could, so, so that he could find any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, get this, y'all. Saul had just been a part of murdering Stephen. Saul's a Pharisee. Pharisees believed in the mystical things of God, angels and visions and those kind of things. He believed in those things. And he was a Pharisee of Pharisee, of Jew of Jews. And he was at the center place of martyrdom of Stephen. And he's watching Stephen being martyred. Now, this is how Stephen was martyred. He was pushed off the pinnacle of the temple. Now, the pinnacle of the temple is the southeast corner of the temple mound, and it's about a 100-foot drop down to rocks. If the pinnacle of the temple sounds familiar, it's because that's where Satan told Jesus to jump off of during the temptation. Cast yourself from the pinnacle of the temple. You know, as a little boy, I thought the temple had a spire on it, like a steeple, and he was going to jump down off the steeple and go splat on the pavement. 
But that's how it was. It was a corner of the temple. I've been there. I've seen it. Stephen was pushed off the pinnacle, fell, did not die. Threw, they threw rocks on him. And Saul watched as his face shone like the face of an angel. And he's going, what? And instead of being convicted of what he did, he got mad, enraged. Very interesting that he was going to go to Damascus to torture the church there. Because on the way to Damascus, he had to go out the Damascus gate. And right outside the Damascus gate is a cliff face called Golgotha, the skull. Right where Jesus was crucified. Saul had to walk past the crucifixion. On top of the hill was an empty tomb where Jesus was resurrected. God was setting him up through the experiences of his life, watching Stephen's face, passing by Golgotha. I'm sure when Paul passed, Saul passed by there, he went, oh, oh, oh. I got messed up everything. Oh, my future, my, my goal to be high priest. Oh, this guy messed up everything. But that guy that messed up everything was about to jump in his thing and change him completely. And on the way to Damascus, Paul has an, Saul has an encounter that changes him into a guy named Paul, the preacher. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus who you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. <clears throat> the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by hand and brought him into Damascus, and for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. How long was Jesus in the ground, in the grave? How long was Jonah in the belly of the fish? How long was Saul without sight? You see what God's doing? He's moving in this guy's life because he wants to convert him in order to use him. You're no Saul. But God loves you just the same. And he wants to use you just the same. Maybe you're not the greatest theologian to ever live who Saul was. Maybe you're just a bubba from northwest Florida. Are from Central Texas. Our God love you from South Texas. God can use you. And he's moving in your life to have a divine encounter with you that causes you to be different. Now, some things I've noticed. So often when people fall under conviction, their first response is not, oh, I'm wrong, I need to be right. I know that in my relationship with my precious wife, Tara, when she brings conviction on me, based on something I have not done or should have done or could have done or something that I've said and should have said better, my, always my first reaction is, yes, dear, you're absolutely right. And I never argue with her, right? Liar, liar, pants on fire. My first reaction, I get mad. Am I by myself? I am? Okay. I'll preach on lying to the rest of y'all, okay? 
You get mad. You follow the conviction. You get mad, and you 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 realize that I'm wrong, and I'm wrong, and I don't want to be wrong. I'm, I'm just I'm mad. You how, how dare you tell me I'm wrong? And Saul, the first thing he got when he saw Stephen's face like an angel, he walked by Galgatha. He he the first reaction is he just got mad. He just got madder. How dare Jesus convicts me? How dare that everything I thought was right is now going to be wrong? How dare that I spent my life studying at the feet of Gamaliel, only for it to be undone by this carpenter from Nazareth, who is illegitimate, by the way? How dare! So breathing murderous rage, he couldn't kill Jesus because Jesus was already dead and resurrected, so he wanted to kill the followers of Jesus because conviction often brings anger. The psalmist said it this way, why do the nations rage and people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast their cords from us. I don't want anybody telling me why I'm wrong when I am. And the first step of conversion is I've got to get over myself. Do you know if I could kick the person in the seat of the pants and cost me the most trouble, I couldn't sit down for a week? I am my biggest problem. I am. You are as well, aren't you? Now, don't look at your spouse and say, you know, you're your biggest problem. Just don't do that. But that's true. And we get to this place of conviction. But see, conviction brings some other things. Conviction brings a realization of my brokenness. When I have time for my, my rage to subside, all of a sudden realize, dead gummit, dead gummit, that's right. I'm broken. I'm broken. There's a quote by A.W. Tozer. You might want to write this down. I'll give it to you twice so you can write it down. That's disturbing. He says this, God will never use a man greatly until he's wounded him deeply. God will never use a man greatly until he's wounded him deeply. A.W. Tozer. Tozer, a pastor, said that. It's interesting. Is that I know this, that I will never change until I realize that I am broken. When I come to the realization that I am broken. But in that conviction of brokenness, there's some other things that happen in my heart, in my life, in my mind. I start walking through a process that that I reveal that I'm powerless. I can't fix myself. That in my brokenness, I I can't get myself well. I I don't know how where to go, what to do, what to say, how to how to, to get back to this place that I'm broken from. I am broken, I'm powerless. Do you realize that when you're desperate, you have two pathways? When you're desperate, you have two pathways you can choose. You can choose dependence on God that will lead to deliverance from God, or you can choose the pathway of the debauchery of your own thinking that'll lead to the depravity of your behavior and will lead you to a disaster of your life. I'm gonna choose dependence so I can get delivered, but so many times debauchery, the warped thinking of my mind will lead me to disaster of my life. When I realize I'm broken and I can't fix myself, when I realize I'm powerless against my hurts and my habits and I can't fix it, 
I can't fix the words that my teacher said to me or my coach said to me. I can't fix the stupid things I did in college. I can't fix those things. I can't break the addictions that haunt me and the habits that confine me and the hurts that I choose to define me. I can't do it. Then I have to have a realization that I need to change. And then I come to the conclusion only Jesus can change me. Only Jesus can change me. But I realize he wants to. Jesus wants to. He said this, he who began the good work in you is faithful to complete it in the, Christ, the day of Christ Jesus. He wants to fix me. He doesn't want me broken. He doesn't want me limping along through life. Unkept, unclean, unqualified, unburied, unwept, unmourned. He doesn't want me that way. He wants me to be useful. He wants me to be a, a blessing. He wants to build my life that I might honor him. He wants to connect me and to grow me and to see me serve and to hear me share. He wants to see those things happen in my life. He wants to do those things and only he can do it and I have to give myself to him so he will do it. I said this this week in my group and on Wednesday night. I said this to my group and I want to repeat it to you today. Salvation is the way God has loved me. God demonstrated his love for me while I was a sinner, Christ died. God demonstrated his love for me by saving me through the cross. Becoming like him in character and attitude is the way I love God. He's loved me by saving me. The way I love him back is I obey his commandments and I become like Jesus. That's why I love him back. So many of us think we love God back by gathering like this and singing songs and raising our hands and getting chill bumps. And that's all well and good. But God's going to say, put down your hands and get your life engaged. Start loving your neighbor as you love yourself. Start doing the good that needs to be doing and, and, and share the love that needs shared. Go and make a difference in the world. Don't, don't just sing songs and go to church. Be the church. Be the hands and feet of Jesus. Make a difference. Because in an uncommon conviction, there becomes an uncommon conversion that changes us. Listen to what happened to Saul. Now there was a disciple in, at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here am I, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise up and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he's praying. And he's seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Now, why in the world did God choose to strike Saul blind? Couldn't he have done something else? Do you know why God did that? Because as a Pharisee and a, and a, and a teacher of the law, a blind person in Israel could not go to the temple nor teach the authority of Scripture because they were blind and they were considered unkept and unqualified and they were considered outcast, smitten by God. Paul, Saul, went from the center of religion to an outcast in his blindness. I read about Ananias and I'm amazed. If I'm, if I'm Ananias, I'm saying, here am I, Lord, send him. I don't want to go hang out with that guy. He's been killing people all over the place. He could just be blind. In fact, Saul, brother Saul, can rot in hell for all I care. Isn't that a great attitude? 
But God is not interested in your attitude. He's interested in your behavior. And Ananias got up and he went. And Ananias, Lord, I've heard him from many about this man. He's much evil is done in, to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority of chief priest to bind all and call upon your name. But the Lord said, go, for he's a chosen instrument of mine to carry out my name before the Gentiles and the kings of the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and he entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so you may gain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he arose and was baptized. Baptized. And taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. Y'all need to hear this, okay? Salvation, conversion is the work of God. It's not the work of man. It's not the work of man. We can't do it. I can't force it on you. If I could, I'd get y'all all in there and say, Y'all all saved, now go out and live better. I can't do that. That's God's job. I'm going to say this in a couple of weeks, actually starting a week from Sunday, a week from Monday, tomorrow, I'm going to be teaching you guys what I've taught pastors all over the world, but I've never taught to you. I taught it to our leadership team here this past spring, and they said, Pastor, you need to teach this to the whole church. So I'm going to teach it to the whole church. And that's during summer soaked. And one of the things I want to tell y'all is, listen to this. It is none of our business how big this church is. How many people come here? It's none of our business. It is our business how healthy this church is. That is our business. How healthy it is. And so looking at this situation is, is solid. Is God's working in his life. He's saying to Ananias, you got to go do this. And salvation is the work of God. It's not the work of Ananias. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of your works, that it, lest any man should boast. That passage is on the screen. Let me read it for you. For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of your own doing. The gift, it's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no, no one can boast about it. But I'll tell you something, y'all. In the conversion of people, God uses people. God uses people as guides. Ananias was a guide. You know who disciple Saul, who became Paul? Ananias. We forget about Ananias and we focus on Saul, Paul. But Ananias was the one who was obedient. He shared with him and God worked in his life. God uses people. God wants to use you. You have no idea who you may be talking to. Maybe a Saul of Tarsus who's going to be a Paul, the preacher. You don't know. I guarantee you, my second grade Sunday school teacher had no idea I was going to be a pastor. In fact, she had already fitted me for a prison uniform. God knew. God knew. You see, God uses people in this tough assignment of bringing men and women and boys and girls to himself. And God restored Saul. I love that he healed him of his blindness. But not only did he heal his, mind, his eyes of the blindness, he healed his mind of the blindness of religion and opened his mind to the clarity of relationship with God that transcends religion. He gave him physical and spiritual sight because immediately Saul began to teach because then God released Saul. Listen to this. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. 
And all who heard him were amazed and said, is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his, this name? Has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priest? But Saul increased all the more in strength and, con- and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. You see, in those three days where he was blind, God was opening his mind. And then he sent the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit finished the work. And then Saul went, oh, you see, Saul had the whole Old Testament memorized, especially the book of Isaiah. And he went, oh, when I walked past Golgotha and I saw the tomb, oh, when I saw Stephen's face shining like an angel, Oh, when I heard Gamaliel talking about there will be a light to the Gentiles, oh, all this is true. I got to go tell folks. You see, he was released then because it all came together. Now, I want to say this to you because I want you to listen to this. Okay, this is very important. When you start looking at Saul, who's now Paul, Paul, Pauline doctrines, what's called Pauline doctrine. When you start looking at Pauline doctrine, you see him growing in his understanding of theology from the first book he wrote in Thessalonians to the last book he wrote, which I think is Hebrews, but we won't bring that up, to Romans. He said, dude's learned a lot because his theology was increasing. His understanding was creasing as he wrote and he's got clarity and as he wrote because God was making Saul a Paul and he didn't finish making Paul a Paul until one day he was beheaded by the Romans and martyred him. Then he became Paul completed, Paul in glory. Tuesday, I'm going to Victoria to bury a dear friend of mine the most loving, positive guy I've ever met. His wife was my secretary, my assistant for five and a half years. I loved Hewlin Howell. And God just graduated him and Hewlin is finished. And Hewlin's now singing Southern gospel in glory. And he's finished. I talked to his precious wife the other day, right after he passed away, I said, Hewlin's finished. God's done with him. He's completed the good work the day of Christ Jesus and, and Hewlin's with Jesus. Hewlin ain't coming back. He wouldn't come back if you ask him. He's more alive than he's ever been. Wow. And God wants to convert you in order to use you. You see, God doesn't bring you to himself for your benefit alone. He brings you to himself because you were saved by God to serve God. If you're not serving Jesus, then you're living in disobedience. What? Yeah. You're living in disobedience. Well, I'm chewing up a church. Congratulations. I even took a bath before I came. Thank you. <laughs> or as they say in Hawaii, mahalo. But you got to serve. You got to serve somebody. It might be the devil. It might be the Lord. You got to serve somebody. Quoting the great theologian Bob Dylan, you got to serve somebody. You need to serve King Jesus. So what are you doing? I'm not talking about singing in the choir. That, but that's a way. I'm not talking about carpenters helpers. That's a way. I'm not talking about working with kids or students. But that's a way. I'm not talking about greeting or cooking or ushering or 
or, or being in the band, I, but that's a way. I'm not talking about preaching or teaching or leading, but that's a way. I'm talking about do everything you find to do. Do it for the glory of God. Maybe you could serve Jesus by being love and hope to somebody. Maybe you could serve King Jesus by where you are in your workplace, realizing that you're a minister in disguise. To serve Jesus. Because that's why he saved you. And you're never going to find fulfillment in the Holy Spirit when you choose to live in spiritual infancy and not grow to maturity. And the only way you grow to maturity is by serving. Now, when you come to Christ, you can expect some uncommon resistance. People are going to resist you from places that you didn't expect. You experience resistance from folks who once called you friend. I experienced this. When I told some of my friends that I was going to be a pastor, they immediately dropped me. Guys that I surfed with, I played ball with, I hung out with, I was with them probably seven out of seven days a week when I said, hey, uh, God's asked me to be a pastor. Dropped. Call them, they don't answer. Go by, they're not home. Done. Surf trips, Done. Ball teams, but done. Just done. Happened with Saul. For many days had passed, and the Jews plotted to kill him. The Jews, the very ones he was represented, plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul, and they were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. That's Saul. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him a basket. The very ones he was sent to kill became the very ones who protected him from being killed from his very former friends. You expect resistance from folks who never knew you. They don't know you and they already despise you. As he spoke and disputed against the Hellenist, they were all seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. The Hellenists wanted to kill him. Now, who are the Hellenists? They were Jews who were formerly Greek, and they had become Jewish, and they wanted to kill him too. So Paul was, Saul was making friends everywhere. You're going, to expect it, you're going to get resistance from folks who should have accepted you. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him. And they did not believe that he was a disciple. What? The very founding fathers of the faith chose to reject Saul, the brightest theological mind on the earth at that time. They said, no, we're good. Don't want to mess with you. We don't trust you. You know, this is often the problem in the church. Did you know that? Someone will come to Christ and instead of embracing them, we'll judge them. This is what we'll do. We'll look at them and say, we know Jesus forgave you, but we're going to keep our eye on you because we know what you used to do. But you know what's even more powerful? You remembering what you used to do and you disqualifying yourself because you're not allowing to Jesus to make you a new creation in Christ. And you're precluding yourself from effective ministry by the memory of what you once were when God says, that dude is dead. And I want you to be free. Free. You're not who you were. You're who God says you are. And he says you are beloved, redeemed, empowered, a saint. Go get them, big boy.
Y'all got that? Yeah, that's worth a hand right there. Mm. Set you free. And so we'll, we'll experience that rejection from, from people. And, and you know, I, my sister, who I love dearly, is an unbelievable, gregarious, outgoing person. She makes me look like an introvert. She joined a church, and they said to her, well, after you've been here a year, we might let you serve in a ministry. What? My sister loves Jesus. They ought to be hopping up and down where she said, where do you want to go? Where we go? You want to be pastor? We'll let you be pastor. I mean, that's the kind of girl she is. Now, some of y'all just, well, you can't have a woman to pastor. Just relax, okay? Just an illustration. I've been a Baptist preacher too long, y'all. That jumps in my head. But we need to embrace new believers. When you have a baby in your family, you have a baby. Baby's bored. You just throw them over in the crib, throw a bottle in there, say, good luck. See you in three years. When you finish the new members class, we'll come check on you. When you've read the whole Bible, you can quote scripture, we'll come nurture you. Is that what we do to babies? No. We love them and we care for them. Should we do the same thing for new believers? Should we do the same thing? That's why we do what we do here with our classes, the next step classes. We want to equip you. We want to help you. We want to love you. We want to empower you. We want to release you. But you know what? We ought not to let you behave like a child. Isn't that right? I was with my little grandbabies this week. And they are just, they got filthy hands and filthy mouths and filthy feet. They're just, they're just filth. They're, they're carriers of every kind of known dreaded disease. And they're just little, just little hellions that are always creating, you know, chaos. And I love them. Oh, I love them. And I'm never going to whoop them. I love them. And I'm watching Lily. She got mad at her daddy. And Lily's almost two. She took her finger. She looked at your daddy going, no, no. And I thought, woo. And her daddy looked at her and said, it's about to be on like Donkey Kong right now. And I'm saying, oh, don't spank that baby. Let that baby be. Because Papa ain't going to spank no baby. But, you know, that's why Papa ain't Daddy. Daddy disciplines babies because he loves them. You know, children have to learn to grow. And when you act like a brat, guess what? You need to have a theological butt whooping. Not from me, from God. Because I ain't your daddy. But God is. And we should let young believers, young adult believers, grow and give them opportunity to serve. And mature folks ought to act like mature folks. Would you not agree? And when you're a mature folk and you start acting like a child, you know what you need to do? You need to grow up. That almost got a round of applause. (laughs) Because we live in an uncommon community that God has brought us through being a convert into a community. So the church throughout all Judea and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. When the church is healthy and living like it's supposed to be, that God does what God does for his glory in people's lives. So the church throughout all Judea in Galatia and Galilee and Samaria had peace. Peace, you know what peace means? No drama. When the church of Jesus Christ has no drama, we're healthy. We're healthy. But we have drama, don't we? 
It's usually made up by people who are immature, who are child, who are children. The church is being built up. What does that mean? Being strengthened to maturity. There's a reverence for God. That's a holiness being set apart. There's comfort. That means there's an ease of heart and an ease of mind. Comfort. I can handle most anything in life as long as God gives me his peace. His peace. Tuesday, I'll have the assignment of going and burying my friend. But the peace that passes understanding know where he is lodged eternally will comfort my heart that I might deliver comfort to others. This is the way God wants this church to live. So have you had a divine appointment? A time where God intersected your life and drew you to himself? Have you been on the other side of the divine appointment when you realize it was somebody else having the divine appointment and you were in the middle of it and God was using you? Y'all, that happened to me several times a week ago. Several times. I'm on dead gum vacation. I've taken my pastor collar and I've hung it up and I put on my flip-flops and my gorgeous Hawaiian shirt and I've gone on vacation. Tara and I are walking down the beach in Kapaha. We're walking down the beach, minding our business. Lady comes walking towards us. We say, hi, how are you? She goes, hi, I'm fine. And Tara says, it's a beautiful day. And she says, let me tell you about my whole life. (laughs) And for two hours. Tara says, I'm a teacher. I'm a teacher too. A teacher talk breaks out. I'm over there going, oh, sure it was like to be nice to look down this beach over here. And I'm just like, wow. and they're just chatting. And she's, t- I mean, she's, tell- she's, tell- she's telling stuff I don't think I'd tell Jesus, okay? <laughs> I'm, I'm floating around in the Pacific Ocean, floating around out there. Save the well people are on the beach trying to push me back out to sea. I'm out there <laughs> floating around. Some guy comes swimming up. I go, hey. He goes, what you doing? I said, I'm floating in the water. Let me tell you my life story. He tells me his life story. I'm going, oh, I got to go. He keeps talking. It's like, good night. We have this spiritual conversation. I'm sitting on the beach. Tara's up at the, getting something in the room, and I'm waiting on her. I'm sitting down on the beach waiting on her. And I'm sitting over there. I got my sunglasses on. I'm looking cool. This guy walks over me and goes, hey, you. Uh, yeah? He says, you work for the Secret Service? <laughs> my kook meter should have went off. Kook, 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 kook. But I went, no, I'm a pastor. Oh, you're a pastor. And he tells me his life story, <laughs> confesses his sins, comes back to Jesus, tells me he's a preacher too. It's like, oh my gosh, what is going on? And then Tara and I realize we're on a mission from God. So are you. So are you. And he wants to use you to be the hope of the world. If you don't know Jesus today, know him. We're going to baptize after a while. Get yourself baptized. We're ready for you. We got shirts and t-shirts. There ain't no bidding, there's never been a fish kill through our baptism. We'll baptize you today. If you know Jesus, are you serving him? Are you living for him? Do you have your radar up about how does God want to use me? Are you making the ask and inviting people to come to know him? 
What are you doing for King Jesus? Because you, my friend, are an uncommon convert.